As Elias said, we've been doing a, a series. This is week number six and probably going to make this the last week that we look specifically at the topic of love. Is there anything in your life that has further reaching implications than love? Is there anything that's going to shape you and direct you more than love? I mean nothing. Your love for your spouse, your love for your children, your love for your parents. This is the thing that makes us into the people we are, whether it makes you better or bitter. Whether the relationships that you went into got messed up and you became bitter because of it, it was love that drove you to that bitterness. It was love that changed you. There is no other thing that shapes us more than this. And yet it's the thing that people shy from. Love is a thing that people are afraid of, afraid to talk about, and certainly afraid to express. To say those three little words, to look into someone's eyes and say those three little words, I love you, can be the most terrifying experience of anyone's life. Love is awesome. Powerful, powerful, powerful. It's so powerful that people shy away from it, don't want to talk about it, right? And we can't afford to do that. I mean, look at love within marriage. Look at the expression of love within a marriage. You'll get one guy, say, one husband, who says to his wife every morning as he's going to work, he says, I love you. But he might not mean it. Might just be like, how are you? You know, a saying. He might not mean it at all. And his wife may be very, very well aware of that. And then those words don't become nice to hear. Every time they're said, they become a bit of a dagger and can work against a relationship. Or another man, he may be shy or timid or afraid more of the issue of love and he may never tell his wife, I love you. Not have enough confidence to do that. But he might love her. And he might demonstrate it in a thousand ways. But maybe she wants to hear that. And maybe she longs to hear that. Love is powerful, 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 powerful. C.S. Lewis said this. He said that he believed that people hid from the love of God more than the wrath of God. He reckons that mankind, that's you, is more afraid of God's love than his wrath. That's just why people live the way they live. They've got no fear of God. But they are afraid of one thing. And that was the awesome nature of God's great love. Let me read to you from Genesis. You don't have to turn to it. It's just a brief piece of scripture. Remember Joseph's brothers tried to kill him. And all the years went by. And Joseph had changed over the years. And they had changed over the years. They all got back together, if you remember, in, the, in Egypt. And Joseph was just about to forgive his brothers and restore them. And this is what happened. They hated him. And he probably hated them. But time's gone by. They've matured. They've been beaten up by life. And now they've met in later life. They still don't know it's Joseph. And this is what it says. As he looked about and he saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph's just seen his brothers. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother. Joseph hurried out to look for a private place to weep. He went into his private room and he wept there. 
this is not a weakling. This is the ruler of Egypt. Okay? This is a patriarch, a strong man. But something's made him run to hide and to cry. What was it? It was his love for his family, his love for his brothers, even after all the even tried to kill me. But they're still my kith and kin. They're still my own brothers. And that was able to break him, where fear and other things weren't able to break him. Look at this handsome bunch of people here. <laughs> this is my family. This is my brothers and sisters. And this was my dad's 90th birthday. We died about two years ago. This was the last picture we ever had actually taken together. And they're a very diverse family. There's all sorts. I won't go into it. It'd take too long. But they've taken many different paths in life. There was about 40 people here, not just the sons and daughters, but there was also all the children. So there was actually about 50 people there that day. And this put a lot of pressure. I guess my dad knew that his days were up. And this was a sort of a gathering for him. At the end of this picture, everybody dispersed. There was a lot of huffle and kerfuffle. And I noticed that my dad was trying. He could hardly walk. He's 90 at this point. He could hardly walk. He was looking at the lift. To get, it was a hotel. We all stayed there for a weekend. He was trying to get to the lift. And I saw him. And I went over. and said, where are you going, Dad? He said, just get me in that lift. So I pushed the button. I said, okay. And I just waited until he was in. He wanted to be alone. And I just paused while the lift doors closed. And you know, he nearly collapsed. It wasn't illness. It was all the love of the family. He just needed to get away. Don't ever underestimate it. The love of God, the love of people is absolutely powerful. And we've got to grow up on it, right? We've got to grow up in the way we deal with love, the way we handle love. Face up to your feelings. Face up to the way you've been made. God is a God of love and you're made in His image. Right? But instead of being mature about it, do you remember Gregory's Girl? Some of you will remember this film. <laughs> this was about adolescent type of love, immature type of love, where a boy wants to ask a girl out for the first time, you know, and he rehearses his lines. Would you like to go to the pictures with me? Would you like to go to the pictures with me? And all that sort of stuff. Immature love. I wonder is this where we're at? doesn't matter what age you are. wonder is this where we're at with our expression of love. See, my dad is 90. Gregory here is 16, 17. But they're both struggling to cope with love. One end of life and the other end of life is just a different problem. Still struggling to express their love. Still struggling to receive love. It's overwhelming. I can't handle it. Well, we need to start to handle it. You need to be very careful and very willing to talk about agape love, sacrificial love. Very willing to speak about it. You need to be very willing to talk about eros type love, erotic love, sexual love. And you see, if you can't do that, you're immature. If you can't do that within your marriage, that's an immature marriage. We must be able to express these things. You need to. There's a saying, suppressed expression is depression. You've got love in your friend. You've got love inside you and you need to learn to express it. You need to learn to dialogue on it. And indeed, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is a handbook 
to you, given to you an instruction manual about how to get this expression out, right? First of all, to God. Look at the Psalms. It's full of advice to us. What? Sing, shout, clap your hands, right? All expression. God's telling you to get that praise out. Let it go. And it's the same in our relationships with one another. Look at the pastoral epistles. They're covered with information telling us how to deal with one another, telling us how to speak to one another. But I'm sorry to say, folks, people struggle with expression. It's just the truth. They struggle. You may be mature in many ways, but very immature in this way. A guy called Gary Chapman wrote this book. It's a very famous book, The Five Languages of Love. And he says in the book, basically, that the way in which love is expressed, he described it as a language. And he said there were five basic ways that people express love. And they're all different because people are different. Some people, for instance, would express their love through words. Maybe like the guy who says, I love you, I love you, I love you. Some people may be very free like that, very open like that. But not everybody will be like that, right? Some people would be completely different. They don't want to articulate those things. They're not comfortable in talking, so they give you their time. They give you quality time. And that's their expression. With other people, it would be giving and receiving gifts, being able to bless you. They see something, they buy you this, buy you that. It's very common, right? With other people, it will be acts of service. They can't do enough for you. And that's their way of expressing. And with other people, physical touch is their means of doing it. Now look, if there's a husband whose means of expression of his love is physical touch, but there's a wife who doesn't understand that, you've got a problem on your hands. If there's a husband whose means of, of expressing his love is quality time, but his wife's means of expressing it is, is words of affirmation, you've got, a mis you've got a different language. You've got people living together who are actually talking a different language. And within any marriage, indeed within any relationship, the goal is that you would understand your partner. You would understand how do they communicate love to me and don't judge them. Gary Chapman suggests to us this, that every one of you have got one particular one of these that you would major in. Every person has a specific type of love language, a way of expressing their love. Now, I don't know where you would be on that, but the idea is that we find out what others' love languages are, and then we begin to dialogue with them. Now, on this topic of expressing love, the Bible's most famous chapter, not verse, the Bible's most famous chapter was written. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Please turn to it. We're going to read the whole chapter because it's an immensely important piece of Scripture, a fantastic piece of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read through the whole chapter and then refer back to it this morning. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. 
It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, see childish ways. When I was a child, I talked like a child. He's talking about love. The topic of this chapter is love. When I was a child, I talked about love like a child does. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Absolutely fantastic. Now, Paul's writing here to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church had at one point in their lives had a passionate love for God, but they lost it. They were somewhat backslidden. And during the time of their passion for Christ, their love for God, they had moved into the giftings, speaking in tongues, prophesying, etc., etc. But they lost their love, and they just carried on, if you like, going through the motions. And he writes to them to correct that very fault. It's a scary chapter, a very scary. You know, he says that you can give your body to the flames. Can you imagine someone doing that but not being motivated by love? It's a bit like a suicide bomber. I mean, does a suicide bomber give his life, blow himself up because of love? No, it's hate. It's hate. That's not the love of God. Guys, that's hatred. That's, that's suicide. That's evil. But people will do this. And the Bible tells us that Christians, that's us, will do all kinds of things for the wrong reason. And they think it's okay, but it is not okay. They can even be martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. God didn't write it. And one day we'll see which of those martyrs is actually acceptable in martyrdom or was their motive so far off? We don't know. We don't know. Why do you do what you do? People will go to huge extremes and make massive sacrifices just to fit in. Just to be someone who would be admired. Someone who would be looked up to. Someone who would get respect. This is a big problem with those with low self-esteem. They struggle and so they see ministry as a way of getting recognition. And it's all actually secretly about them and not about God at all. You can do all manner of things, even give your life, he says here, as a martyr. But if love is not the motivation, the whole thing is not acceptable to God. It's a clanging symbol. Outward expressions is not it. Simple as that. What you see on the outside is not it. That's not where it's at. But people, Christians, get so tied up with that. You see, the Corinthians were offering, they were trying to validate their spirituality by gifts. That's what they were trying to do. I can speak in tongues, therefore I'm spiritual. And that's a very common mistake. When we were in Ireland, we had, at one point, about 10 years ago or more, there was 
three or four congregations in the city center. And in the morning, you would start with the Irish congregation. And then we would move about three o'clock. We had the Romanian congregation. And then about six o'clock in the evening, we had the African congregation coming in. Now, you would not believe the difference in expression in those three groups. The Irish, to be spiritual, in the Irish congregation, you were supposed to smile. So they all come in smiling. That's just the culture. But it's the complete reverse in the Romanians. To be a spiritual Romanian, you have to look like a mafia hitman. <laughs> so they would come in and they'd have their, their Bibles and good morning. And they'd follow you around. Good morning. You try to preach to that lot. And you'd sit up there and there would be a whole panel of them sitting, you know, staring back at the con. It was like a stare out, you know. That's their, that, that was their way. And then the Africans come in, man, Olumide. <laughs> you can imagine 200 of him, bangity bang, man. It's all about noise, right? Now, it was funny because the, the congregations often judged each other. The one would look at the other and say, well, that's not spiritual. The other, none of it's spiritual. None of it's spiritual. Noise is not spiritual. Being serious is not spiritual, right? Laughter and, and, and joy is not necessarily spiritual, right? But so tied up people get with validating, if you like, themselves and their own type of spirituality or expression that they get lost in it. Paul writes 1 Corinthians to make this one point, and it's a very important point. The gifts of the Holy Spirit work without love. You can speak in tongues. You can stand up now and give a prophetic word. It's got nothing to do with whether you love God, whether you're loving your brothers and sisters. The gifts operate without love. You don't need to love God to use the gifts. You could have someone dead here and you could have the gift of faith, the gift of healing, and come up and raise them. It doesn't mean you're right with God. You could be stone cold. Just like the guy who goes out every morning and says, I love you, I love you, might just be going through the motions. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance, irrevocable. So they remain within you and they remain operative. Right now, you need faith to use them. But there they are. And that's Paul's point. That's what the whole chapter is about. He's trying to explain to us, don't get deceived about what true spirituality is. A good example of this was there was a recent revival. I won't say where, but there was a recent major revival in the world that got an awful lot of attention. Healings galore. And right at the very beginning, I remember two or three of us here were bothered by it. I was bothered by it. I talked to some of the guys. They said, we're bothered by it too. It just doesn't feel right. But one individual took real exception to that and said, what do you mean it's not right? Is the deaf or seeing the blind? Or, or, is that right? Deaf see blind here, do they? <laughs> you know what I mean. Miracles, right? Miracles were happening. And we were trying to say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, but... There's still something wrong. I still feel wrong about it, and I don't know what. I don't need to know what. I've got a spirit here, you know? What's the point in being born again if you don't listen to, your, to the spirit in you? There's something wrong here. And so there was a little bit of a, a rift here, you know? I said, no, I'm telling you, there's something wrong with that. Of course, it took about four or five weeks, and the whole thing came out. There was something seriously wrong. And that whole revival was sh shut down. The gifts will operate without love. Right? Not just about gifting. And you can prophesy here. That doesn't mean it's love. It doesn't mean that God accepts it or is happy about your behavior towards God, but also towards others. You can carry on in your marriage without love. For five years, 10 years, 20. Do you know the most common year for divorce? 26. 
26. Why did it take you 26 years to get divorced? What's going on? You know why? Going through the motions. Going through the motions. Going through the motions year in, year out. Love you. Love you. Don't think so. 26. You see? There's no way you're getting, a 20, getting divorced at 26 if you haven't been going through the motions. Right. Oh, you've been going through the motions for years. Didn't want to talk about love, was it? Is that the problem? Well, we need to grow up then. We need to start expressing ourselves. We need to start dialoguing on what the real problems are. Listen to this. This is a woman who's getting divorced. And she says this. I have served him for 20 years. I have waited on him hand and foot. I have been his doormat while he ignored me, mistreated me and humiliated me in front of my friends and family. I don't hate him. Sounds as if she does, doesn't it? I don't hate him. I wish him no ill, but I resent him. And I no longer wish to live with him. And then the author writes, that wife has performed acts of service for 20 years, but they have not been expressions of love. They were done out of fear, guilt, and resentment. Oh, you can carry on for years and years and years. It doesn't mean a thing. You can come to church and you can operate in your gift. Don't ever be deceived that that means anything or is anything concerning God or your love for God. It isn't. That's not where it's at and that's what the chapter is about. It's to try and redirect us and show us what true love is. This is why it's so important, those of you who were here yesterday, in the church here we have a major discipleship program with many people engaged in it. But it's not just about ministry. It's not just about giftings. It's not just about knowledge. Right? Although both of those are very important, it's also about character. In other words, we're well aware that people can operate in ministry. Absolutely well aware of it. No problem. And you can study all day and have all the knowledge you want. It's the character bit we're interested in, right? And that's the real heart of this, this chapter and the gospel. Right? If you're not actually engaged in the discipleship program, please come and see Pastor Tom or myself at the end of this meeting and we'll try and hook you up with someone ASAP. Paul writes this chapter to a question that you've got, whether you realize it or not. My question is probably the same as you. How do I love, Lord? How do I love you? And how do I love others? Will you teach me how to love? Jeanette was in the shop once and there's a little child and his mother ahead of her. And the, the child was screaming and misbehaving and the mother was, you know, going crazy. And the mother turned to the child and said, listen, you're not getting anything until you're good. And the child stood for a moment and went, what's good? I don't know what good is. <laughs> and it's a bit like that with us, with love. You can say, God says, you know, you must love one another. You must love each other. You must love God. But I don't know about you, but I say, God, what is love? What is love? How do I love? And this chapter, you see, tells you exactly what love is. Precisely. Breaks it down. Tells you what love speaks like. Tells you what love thinks like. Tells you what it behaves like. And Paul splits it up basically very simply into three groups. He begins by talking about the speech gifts. And he says, okay, let me tell you what love really is. Let me give you an example. He says, take the speech gifts. Preaching, prophecy, tongues. That's not any way of validating whether someone loves God or loves others. These things can be used for evil, right? And deception, or they can be used for great good. 
But there's no measure whatsoever. Don't be fooled by that. We had a tent mission once in Wales, and it was a major tent mission. A lot of money was being spent. There was a whole series of tents, actually, and it was going to be going on for days. And we had one of the tents, and we were going to be teaching on open-air evangelism, open-air preaching. We turned up a few days before the event is due to start, you know, and we've got a team there, and we're going to set up all our equipment and start the teaching. And there was a prayer meeting with all the staff involved in it. And this evangelist who led the whole campaign was there. And the person who was in charge of intercession was there. Well, I tell you, the person who was in charge of intercession didn't like me as soon as she saw me. And we walked in, we put our stuff, we're the evangelism crew. Okay, and she started watching me from that point on. We had this prayer meeting. And she was speaking in tongues. And it was like, you know, an American Indian war. She She was watching me and I thought, what is it? What have I done? And all the time, she's looking and speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues. And I was very uneasy. I thought, I tell you what, kid, if that's the head of the intercession, we're going to be having some problems here. That cookie's not right. So a few days go by, and we're just about to start. The, the evangelist comes over to me one day, and this is a well-known person. He over and says, could I talk to you? I've got something of great delicacy, I have to say. We don't want your ministry here. Okay. You're welcome to attend, but you won't be doing anything. We're not going to be using that tent, and we won't be doing the teaching. Okay, I didn't need to ask. I know what ministry's like. This person's got to preach for the next few days. I'm not going to give any trouble. I said, that's absolutely fine. Don't even need to ask why. I know why. So, leave it. I said to the team, look, you can come or go, stay. I won't come back. You guys can just disperse, or you can stay. It's up to you. That's it. I go to bed. Six o'clock in the morning, my phone rings. Six a.m. It's the evangelist. I'm bothered by what I've done. <laughs> I listened to my intercessor. I know, I know. She said there's a problem with you, but I can't sleep. There's not. I said, of course there's not. There's a problem with her, kid. Would you come back? Okay, come, okay, we'll come back. You see? What was she using to disguise? Tongues. Tongues. She wanted to validate, validate what was a very bad thing. And she wanted to validate. She couldn't quite go up to that evangelist and just say, don't. So I'll speak in tongues and speak in tongues and I'll make myself look really spiritual. That's dreadful. That's absolutely dreadful. And that's what Paul's getting at. He's saying these things can be used in love to build up the body or they can be used for great wickedness. And he divides it right down the middle very clearly. Be careful. That's towards God and this is towards others. Pray and ask God to use you to encourage people. Pray and ask God to give you a word from Him. So that on your way to church every Sunday, God, give me a word for someone. Help me to speak into people's lives. Use these speech gifts to encourage others, not to pull down, right? Words are powerful. Jeanette was on the bus and she, I remember, that I never forgot the story because it was horror to me. She, she, she said there was this woman, she didn't know it was a, a child and, a, and an adult, but she didn't know if the adult was the child's elder sister or mother. But they were just sitting opposite each other in a bus seat. And all the journey, the adult was just lashing into the child. You're stupid. Shut up. Endless, endless condemnation and horrible words. And I remember the way she put it. She said, oh, that woman. She didn't, she said, she didn't have a rod to beat the child but she may as well have done because that's the force of words 
That was the power of them, battering and beating that child with what she was saying. We've got to watch our speech, right? And use it to build people up. What does the Bible say? The power of life and death are in your tongue. Your tongue. You've got the power of life and death. Why? Because there's a devil. That's why the gun is supposed to be pointed at the enemy. Not at yourself. Right? Not condemning yourself. Not speaking negatively about yourself like we saw last week. Not speaking negatively about others. But using your speech to build others up. Right? And to build yourself up. By all means, speak in tongues and build yourself up. These are important. Obviously, this is very close to my heart. When I got saved, God called me to preach, and I didn't know how on earth to do that. And I started to study every possible way, and I got to hear of this guy in West Wales who was very well known. He was known as a, as a, as a great man of God in that time. And I wanted to go down and just sit and, and, and be under his ministry for a while. So I called up, and I rang up, and they said, yes, I could come. I said, just want to sit and listen to him and, and, and come under that anointing so he said come for christmas there was four events he said you can come for christmas stay the whole time and you can work through these events and you'll see what i do i arrive at his place he collapses <laughs> so don't invite me around right <laughs> i arrived the guy collapsed and he was he was on the sofa i thought oh he's gonna die now he's, he's lying there and he said look i i don't know what was up with him he said would you preach and would you do the events? I'll see if I can get over this. I said, okay. So the first event, they did that. It went well. Second event, I did that. It went well. Third event, I did that. It went well. And then he got up. He was okay. So he came in and he said, I'll do the last. This is an old man. I'll do the last event. I thought, praise God. At least I get to sit under your ministry for one session. So I sat down after three good events. And up the guy got. He fumbled. <laughs> he wasn't well organized. He was an elderly man. And I thought, well, what's all this reputation about? Up he got and went to his notes. And then he started to speak. My God. He had one thing. Love. He loved those people. And you, it was awesome awesome. And I had gone to learn about gifts. I had gone to learn how to develop in gifting. And my oh my, does God teach well. He said, you know what? There's giftings everywhere here, friends. We're not short of gifting. There's no end of gifts all over. The Everybody's got one and many more. Gifts is not the problem. And as I drove away from that place, I remember thinking, his reputation... Now I know why he has a reputation. It's because he's got the one thing that God wants. He loves his people. And God's love is just coming out of that guy, and that's fantastic. So easy to miss it. So easy to, you know, miss the forest for the trees. The next thing Paul talks about is acts of service. And he tells us how to do this right. There's right ways of doing it and wrong ways of doing it. I mean, you here, you could be involved in children's work, the ministry of any sort, cleaning, worship, but there's a way of doing that. And we've got to do it until, out, of, out of love for God. And we've got to do whatever we're gifted in. Many people have a problem accepting their gift, you know. They think it's too small. Remember the man who had the one talent? 
What did he do? He buried it. What did the guy with 10 do? He invested it. You see, the, the little gift was seen as nothing. It was seen as insignificant, not important enough. So I won't do anything with it. And that's terrible. That's not love. That's not love. That's pride, actually. And so you've got to use whatever gift God has given you. You use it and you use it well and you dedicate it onto God. Same for others. In acts of service, how do we serve others? Well, first of all, quality time is a way of serving people. You give them your time and you love them by doing so. And husbands, once again, I would say to you, give time to your wives. I was with one, just had a small group of pastors around in a guy's house once and he was a pastor and we were talking and stuff. We had a brief meeting and we were all leaving. And the pastor and his wife came out to the door. We were saying goodbye. And one of the people who was leaving with me said, oh, so-and-so's coming tomorrow to the city. I'm going to go and see him. I said, oh, I'll go too. And then the, the pastor who hosted us said, and I'll go. I'll come with you. And when he said that, his wife spoke. And you know when someone's hurt, I mean really hurt, you can hear it in their voice. I mean wounded. Do you know what she said? You said we were going to do the washing machine tomorrow. You said we were going to fix the washing. We we're going to get that done. And the pain in her voice, I could hear it. And her husband ignored it. Oh, we'll do it another time. And she had young kids running around the house. Washing machine was obviously broken. Time. Love. He's gone off in ministry. I'm going with the guys. I'm going down to meet this whatever. Love. No. He, he would call it ministry, but it's not acceptable ministry, is it? Because that's not love. He's denied his wife a promise he made, obviously, to, to, to be there and to fix the washing machine or whatever. That's not acceptable. Acts of service, he would offer that day and say, I'm going to develop my ministry. Well, that's not acceptable. You need to get home and help your wife. That's maturity, right? So acts of service to others in kindness and visiting in gifts, in all those ways, or just in touch, in touching one another. Husbands, you need to touch your wives. I don't mean sex. I don't mean sex. I just mean touch. And you need to become tactile. You need to hold her hand. You need to put your arms around one another. Sit on the settee, you know, and cuddle up. You need to get, behave yourself, Gordon. You need to, you need to get tactile. You can at least wait till you go home, Gordon. I mean, come on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's important. Because, look, especially if that happens to be somebody's primary language of expressing love, sex is not the only thing. Amen. Amen. You need to touch. And you need to get very used to touching one another. Husbands and wives only I'm talking about here. Right? <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> but do it, guys, because it is important. And it's a way of expressing love. And women particularly, I think, are very... Let's stop right there. And move <laughs> Thirdly, Paul talks about the wisdom gifts. And these are gifts that we need just to not to hurt people. You know, people are funny. People can be very odd. Even weird. <laughs> You know their little ways? Have you got little ways? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Have you got little ways? Everybody's got their own little ways. Sometimes odd little ways. Sometimes annoying little ways. And when Paul talks about the wisdom gifts, he really is referring largely to dealing with people's little ways. And not 
Learning when to be quiet if somebody's getting on your nerves. Learning when to use discretion. Learning that you don't have to correct everything all the time. And learning that, the most important point, people are making room for me. So I better make room for people. Do you know, what, do you know who has little ways? You do. You do. You have your own little annoying ways. Your own little funny ways. And love can cope with that. And love says it's okay. When others say, oh, here, why does he do that? Why does she? Uh, 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 just let it go. That's just their little way. You need to learn to be quiet about those things, especially in a marriage. You're going to have to accept them or you're never going to make it. Not to, you know, speak about it, not to prove your point, but just to let things go. That's love. I lived with one guy and he was a very difficult guy to live with. I was only there about seven or eight months, but I specifically took a room in his house to try and help him. He had big problems, and I kept the place meticulously clean. I wasn't going to be a burden. I wanted to help. So I did you know, everything perfectly. And one day, I'm up in my room. He comes up. Hello? He says, I've got a, pro you're, I've got a problem with something you're doing. Okay, what's that? Now, come with me. I walk downstairs. He brings me in the kitchen. Look. I look. I can't see anything. Look, hi. Look, 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 look. look. I'm looking. Everything's clean. Everything's put away. I'm sorry, I, I can't say. The teaspoon. I'm serious. This is not a joke. I said, yeah, the teaspoon is upside down. They said, this is the truth. And I said, I didn't know a teaspoon could be upside down. What's upside for a teaspoon? And he said, the bit, look, look, the bit that goes in the cup should not be touching the drainer. It should be the other way round. Little ways, big ways. Huh? Okay, from this point on, there will never be a teaspoon upside down. Okay, thank you. But see, he was stressed out, absolutely stressed out to the max. And he, he used to breathe in and breathe out with the stress. And relax, man. You've got lots of little ways and you need to let them go. Love will cover over people's little ways, right? And you need to learn to do that. Don't be so head up. And Christians can be the worst in the world for that. I was talking to Gordon the other day. He features quite a lot here, doesn't he? <laughs> when Gordon joined this church, I think he was one of the best things that's ever happened to us because of his little ways. <laughs> <laughs> and when he came in, when he came in, it was, it was really, I mean, I could hear people thinking, you know? They were looking at him. And he'd be dancing or something and doing the stuff he does. They'd be looking at Gordon and looking at me. Looking at Gordon. Aren't you going to do anything about him? Is it? And it was the perfect antidote for religiosity. The perfect antidote for a religious mindset. Why does everybody have to, have to be like you? You know, the worst thing could happen in your world is that everybody became like you. How boring that would be. We need diversity. And that's how it comes. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Lighten up, right? And accept people's little ways and let them be. And love them with their ways, right? If their ways are wrong, obviously we love them through those things. Learn to be quiet. To use discretion about when something may need corrected or when it may not. Don't have to prove your point. That's stupid. There's no need to do that. Don't boast. Not proud. Not rude. And love, you know, even with the people we love. We can be very rude. I'm sure none of you here would 
you know, call your wife an idiot. Idiot! You know? Or call your husband an idiot. But you might, you know. You just might not use the word. Like say she locks the keys in the car or something. You did what? Ah, oh, what did you do? Ah, oh, idiot. <laughs> not using the word, but you may as well because you're inferring it. Oh, we can be very, very, very rude. Jeanette and I had a little bit of a ding-dong. You know what a ding-dong is? Everybody knows what a ding-dong is. We're driving. Oh, boy. If, you see, I get in the car when she's driving and I'm in the passenger seat. Oh, quiet. I cannot be quiet. You get in the passenger seat and she goes in first gear. You know, you know the way women drive. They grab the steering wheel and they push their head to the windscreen up like this. See? So she grabs the wheel. I'm looking. She's Head against the windscreen, and then she goes into first gear, and we head off home, and I'm biting my tongue, because there is no second gear, not with, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, but off we go, and we get to the top of the road, and she turns, and I'm, I'm uh, I say, why don't we go to second gear? Don't tell me how to drive. I'm not telling you how to drive. There's a second gear. So she goes to second gear, and then like a mile goes by, and I think, I can't be quiet. Say, go to the third gear. Don't tell me how to drive. And on and on it goes. And I'm not alone. I find that nigh on impossible. However, I have solved the problem. I've learned how to deal with it. Now, if she's driving, she gets in the, in the driver's seat. I sit down. <gasps> Take a deep breath. <sighs> right, seatbelt's on. Right. Are you ready? I put my helmet on. I say, let's go. And we go. No problem. <laughs> We look as if we're going to do a bunch job, you know? <laughs> little ways. Little ways can make you or break you. And I'm being honest, I find it nigh on impossible to be quiet when she's driving. God forgive me, but I do. <laughs> look at verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child, but now I have become a man. I will put these childish ways behind me. And I hope that through this series, you have begun to do exactly that. Those of you who are considering dating, I hope that you don't think about it the same way. Those of you who are considering getting married, I hope that you've changed your mindset about what that actually entails and involves and what it's going to mean for you. I hope you're no longer thinking as a child. He goes on to say, once I didn't know in full, but one day I will fully know. And I hope that through this series over these last few weeks, you've begun to know the truth about maybe yourself. I know many of you have spoken to me about self-understanding, that just through these weeks, you've come to a place of self-understanding about how love operates within you. And that's a great, great thing. I want to show you this. Two of our leaders here renewed their marriage vows just a few weeks ago. Chris and Eileen, praise the Lord. And we had a little meeting downtown, and I showed them this because one of the things that Paul says, let me just show it to you. Look at verse 8. Look at this one. Look at verse 8. Just the beginning of it. It's my favorite line in terms of love in the whole Bible. Chapter 13, verse 8. Love never fails. What does that mean? Love never fails. Let me tell you what it means, or at least what it means to me. 
I was doing a rededication, not a marriage, but a rededication at one point. And I'd never done a rededication before. I'd done loads of marriages, but this was the first ever rededication I'd done. So I sought God. I said, God, what is the difference between a marriage and a rededication? Here's a couple. They want to bring themselves back together and renew their vows. What does that mean? And God showed me a vision. I see loads of vision. This is the primary way God talks to me. I saw a vision, and the vision explained to me the difference between a couple getting married and a couple renewing their vows. This was the vision. I saw a man and a woman. The woman's the one with the skirt on, see? (laughs) And they wanted to get married, but they were separated by a great big gulf. They couldn't get to one another. And the man was saying to the woman, I want to marry you. I want to marry you too. But there's a big gap between us. How are we going to cross that gap? And the man sees a pile of bricks behind the woman. He said, got it. Pass me a brick and I'll build a bridge and we can stand on the bridge and we'll get married. Easy. Okay, she says, and she picks up a brick. Oh, she drops it. Never mind. Get another one. She gets another one. Oh, butterfingers. Dropped it again. And then sometimes he gets it, but he drops it. Ah. And brick after brick, they just can't seem to get it right. But I guess you know the end of the story. (laughs) Oh, the bridge gets built all right. The bridge gets built. But the bridges of love are never built because of perfection in anyone. It was built on the mistakes. And Paul says this. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And all your mistakes, whoops, I just put it all beneath my feet. And let's make it the foundation for our lives and our love for one another. That's what it means. You see, what's the difference between a couple getting married and a couple getting rededicated? That's the difference. About 20 feet. They don't know each other. It's a couple getting married don't really know each other. There's still a big gap. But after you've been married, as it is in your case, for 10 years, you know each other all right. And it's a fantastic and beautiful thing. You're able to stand together and commit to one another in full knowledge of all the mistakes you've made. But because you see those actions are done in love, love never fails. That's just fun. You know what that is? A guarantee. It's a guarantee from God to you. When I was in Bible college... There was a guy there who he wasn't saved, and he was an absolute nuisance to me. Many of the people weren't saved, and I was in Cardiff University for two years, and most of our class wasn't saved. But this guy used to really ridicule the gospel and tear it apart, and it was very difficult to love him. But I persevered with him, and I witnessed to him throughout that time. He embarrassed me constantly. He made a fool out of me endlessly. He was a much older man than I was. I was a kid. And he ridiculed me week after week after week. And I just tried to get him saved. I did not succeed. And our last day came and everything was over. We all shook hands. And I walked off. And I'd been quite isolated through Bible college there. And I I walked off and I remember feeling, what was all that about? You know, I did all that. I swallowed all that. And that guy's really left me embarrassed. And there you go. As I walked off, he came running after me. And he, he wanted to be on his own with me. And he said, could I talk to you for one moment? I've got something I want you to need to say. I've got a problem. A big problem. 
I can't talk to you about it. I'm facing a court case. It's either going to make me or completely destroy me. I'm thinking, yeah, that's, what's that got to do with me? He said, I need you to pray. Would you pray that I will be able to get through it? I thought, I see. Of course I'll pray. I prayed for him, and as I walked away, I thought, love never fails. And if I if I'd gone and he hadn't caught up with me, I could have left that situation thinking, what's the point in loving anybody? What's the point as a believer? Keeping on witnessing for this person or that. What's the point? They don't respond. What's the point in loving my son or my daughter if they haven't come to Christ? What's the point? There's your point right there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. A guarantee from God. If you continue to love, then eventually I can bring this thing together. You just make love your goal in all the relationships we're involved in. Married, single, you know, in, in your workplace, wherever you find yourself, you make love your goal, love your target. Amen?